A lot of you have been asking me for insomnia treatment options, so I want to let you know I have launched an insomnia treatment course. It's a very structured and effective treatment program with a lot of clinical evidence support. So one course is in Chinese and one is in English. You can find it at deepintosleep.co/insomnia. We often hear people talking about gratitude. So how gratitude is related to our life, our emotions, our happiness, and our health? So today we have Charlson Gaines, a life coach, and through his own journey, his own knowledge, he will share with us the secret path from gratitude to happiness. Hi, Charlson. Welcome to Deep Into Sleep podcast. Hello. Thank you for having me here. I'm really excited. Great! I'm excited to have you too. I know you are in the field of mental health, and you are in the process of getting your PhD degree. How about you introduce yourself to our audience? I'm Charleston Gaines, and I've been studying psychology for a long time. So yes, I'm a PhD candidate, and my focus for my PhD is about mental health, specifically the way. Adverse childhood experiences impact PTSD symptoms in regards to your emotions, and so as I look a lot over the years, just about PTSD and just about mental health in general, there's so many things to understand, and I've come to focus really on the emotional intelligence and positive psychology aspects of it. And the reason for that is because we can't have One or two therapists for every five people. People need to learn how to take care of themselves. They need to be proactive. They need to be able to recognize when they need help, and then emotional intelligence and positive psychology enables them to recognize that in themselves, to get the help that they need, to take actions to elevate their mental health, to elevate their happiness, and then it also provides them the resources to be empathetic. Towards others and to recognize when others need help as well, and you simply can't do that if you're not in control of your emotions.、Hmm. Yeah, definitely. So, how we can manage our own stress, regulate our own emotions, right? I know there are like a lot of psychotherapists around me are all full. It's really difficult to get appointment right now. So, if we cannot get professional help. Immediately, or like when we are in the crisis, what we can do to ourselves, and especially as we all learn, we are all in this field. We know a lot of things can be learned, can be practiced, can we can improve the ability to to deal with emotions. So yeah, that's a very interesting and important topic. For us to study, and I'm happy you are working on that. And、uh, very modern,、uh, like the, for example, the positive psychology part. Even just what you said, how it's, it's hard to get an appointment. It's hard to get in to see a therapist because they're so busy. And the thing about therapists is that people often go to them when they're in crisis mode, when they feel helpless or hopeless. And so, a lot of the things that I can talk about involving emotional intelligence, therapists also know that. However, people will come to therapists because they want a reduction in symptoms. They want to stop having nightmares. They want to stop having anxiety attacks or panic attacks. 
when they reach that goal in therapy, they're often finished with therapy. And then they go, you know, they go live their lives. And then the therapist takes on a new patient, a new client who is trying to reduce their symptoms. They're trying to get to a point where they can no longer be classified as having depression, anxiety, PTSD, or whatever it is. So the therapist may have the knowledge and the skills, but quite often they don't have the availability to teach the skills to actually help people elevate their own happiness. And when I say that, one one term that I use often is the happiness baseline, which is to me a baseline where a zero is someone who's a zero on this one to 10 baseline is someone who is suicidal. Like death by suicide is imminent. And someone who's a 10 is someone who is happy as it can possibly. So you can imagine if you're moving towards zero and you recognize that in yourself, so you go to the therapist to get help. You want the therapist to help you stop that downward spiral. And they often do, right? So you're going from a three to a two to a one. And the therapist stops you there and gives you some tools. And then you're on your own as they get another client. Emotional intelligence, positive psychology, resilience, and these other topics enable you to elevate your baseline. Because if you don't die by suicide, but you remain miserable and you continue to hate your life, is that really a win for you? Don't you actually want to elevate your happiness baseline? Don't you want to actually begin to love your life, love yourself, and thrive? And most people just don't know how to do that. And that's where I come in as, as a life coach and also as a professional speaker and teach those skills so that people can replace misery with happiness. And I use that terminology intentionally because when you have these thoughts and you have these emotions that are based on misery, they're based on depression, self-hate, self-doubt, guilt and shame. You can go to a therapist and remove those thoughts. You can go through the process of getting rid of that self-hate and that shame. So that leaves a gap in your thought process. Where there's a gap, we removed all this negativity. If we don't fill it with something, that leaves room for the negativity to come back. So we remove the misery, but there's still a space where the misery used to be. So we don't want to just remove the misery. We want to replace it with happiness. And that's why I say replace misery with happiness. I like it. Not just remove it. Like we take away something um, negative or some maladaptive coping strategies away from people. We want people to have some something different, something uh, more effective, more healthier. And uh, um, no matter it's a way of thinking or it's a way of coping and we people cannot just take away things. They also need to replace it with something better, healthier, uh, more helpful. And sounds like that's what you are focusing on, which is great. I know at nighttime, most people are very, very, very vulnerable. Those self-hate you are talking about, those negative thoughts, worries, a lot of times they just pop in. At nighttime, when we try to sleep, when it's all quiet, we are by ourselves. I also have a lot of clients cry quite a lot at night um, when they are on their own. Very sad. You know, again, that goes back to replacing misery with happiness, because maybe you've learned these skills and you've, you've learned how to manage these thoughts 
or these emotions while you're progressing through your day, right? So you're, you have a task, then these negative thoughts come in mind and you're able to expel those thoughts and then focus on the task at hand. So essentially you're replacing it. But at night, the time when you finish your last task before you go to sleep, there's nothing else to do. So you actually have the time to sit there and criticize yourself and judge yourself and hate on yourself. And that's why we have to replace misery with happiness. But what happens if you're unable to do that or you don't know how to turn off that negativity, that impacts your sleep. And that's such a huge problem. People don't understand all of these negative thoughts and emotions are not individually labeled by your mind. Simply put, they are perceived as threats. And so when you threatened by something, it stresses you out turns on your stress response. And so when your stress response is turned on, you have elevated levels of, of cortisol and adrenaline, elevated heart rate. Now, when I describe that to you, does that sound like something that you want to take to sleep? <laughs> exactly, right? We, why we want all the stress hormones elevated? Wow, that's hard. Right. And, and so... In order to regulate your emotions, you have to regulate your entire body because people don't understand that the expression of emotions is physiological. And the simplest evidence of that is when you feel sad, there's a physiological response of tears. That's what happens, right? So your, your body has been showing you since you were a baby that your emotions come with a physiological response. And so we have to turn that off and what I teach people are two methods of doing that, mindfulness meditation and gratitude practice. You cannot be angry and grateful at the same time. You've never gotten mad while explaining to someone how much you appreciate them. It doesn't make sense because you, you can't experience both at the same time. And then the mindfulness meditation is a tool to use to allow your body to tell your brain there's not a threat. Your brain sends a signal to your body, there's a threat, we need more adrenaline, we need more cortisol, elevated heart rate, there's a threat, we have to do something. And then you take those deep meditative breaths and you, your body lets your brain know there's actually not a threat, you can relax, I'm going to breathe. Because slow, controlled breathing is not a threat response. So then your brain recalibrates. Okay, there's not a threat. I can turn that off. And then you're able to get good sleep. And the reason why that's so important is because sleep is when your brain is able to settle. It's able to relax. It's able to return to a state of normal functioning. And if you can't do that and you don't get good rest, then when you wake up the next day, you still have that negativity. And what a lot of people don't recognize is that that failure to get good sleep exacerbates all of your mental health disorder symptoms. If you have PTSD and you can't sleep, your paranoid you know, um, behaviors may be elevated. Your avoidant disorders may be elevated. If you can't sleep, if you had an elevated heart rate while you were tossing and turning, it's easier for you to have an anxiety attack the next day. Because even though you were asleep, your body was still anxious because you didn't get good sleep. 
by getting good sleep, we help our body to repair itself. And it's not just resting like after a workout, it's the mind to we allow the brain a few hours to say there's no threat, we're going to relax. We're going to go back to regulating our stress response. Let's regulate these hormones, or serotonin or dopamine, cortisol, adrenaline. Instead of being a mess, you sleep long enough, get good quality sleep, and your brain can reset. And then the next day, you're actually able to function normally. Lots of research has shown that among combat veterans with severe or complex PTSD, the suicide rate is higher among those who have had uncontrolled nightmares as a symptom. Regardless of all the other symptoms, if you're able to get sleep, you're less likely to die by suicide if you have PTSD. And I think when people begin to recognize that, they understand that getting good sleep is critical to healing their minds and their hearts. Yeah, it's all connected, right? And on the other hand, treating sleep, if we can sleep better, uh, if we receive the right treatment and sleep gets improved, the symptom of PTSD and many other mental disorders uh, can definitely get improved as well. And it's helped the healing process of all the other emotional disturbance. So it's like you, you don't sleep well, it may make the symptom worse and it can be risk factors for suicidality. And if you treat sleep, you sleep better somehow, other symptoms may help to be helped to be improved. What you mentioned, the two things are really stand out. I think meditation, uh, mindfulness meditation, a lot of people talk about that. Uh, I think a lot of audience are somewhat familiar with that. But the gratitude, I think, is a very big, uh, very important topic. But uh, I'm not sure how many of our audience know about gratitude. Do you, uh, can you explain more about that? You know, one thing that that we can always control is our thoughts. And so for some people, it's harder than others. So when I say you can always control it, I'm not saying that it's always easy. These things take practice. That's why we say gratitude practice, because you have to practice daily. There's a process where you choose to get better at it. But what happens with gratitude practice is that, again, if I'm showing appreciation to you. I'm saying thank you for having me on your podcast. I cannot say that to you sincerely if I'm experiencing a threat. If something was threatening my health right now, I would not tell you thank you. I would have to do something else. Um, so my brain has to choose, is there a threat or am I grateful? And gratitude is a positive emotion where, again, it turns on the relaxed response and turns off the stress response. We always hear about the negative effects of chronic stress, but quite often we just hear chronic stress is bad. We don't hear what to do about it, right? Chronic stress is bad, stop being stressed out. That doesn't help. And so gratitude is a step that you can take. And the most effective way to do that is to really get a gratitude journal, whether you wanna write it by hand or there's lots of different apps that you can download at the end of every night, 
write down three things you're grateful for or three things that happened in the last 24 hours that were just three good things that happened in the last 24 hours. And what you do is you're putting intentional effort towards positive thinking. If I take some time to think about it, my brain is focused on three good things that happened in the last 24 hours. What happens is it opens up the creativity centers of your brain, the innovative centers, the happiness centers of the brain. And so when we go through that process, we are turning off the stress response. See, we don't often talk about that because you're not going to find a lot of literature that integrates all of these topics. But what I'm saying is at the end of every night, you write down three things that you're grateful for. Turns off the stress response, turns on the relaxed response, improves your sleep hygiene, which enables you to reduce your depressive, anxious, or PTSD symptomology. A lot of people don't think about how can I use a gratitude journal to reduce my PTSD symptoms? But understand that PTSD, for example, is it's post-traumatic stress. So it's the presence of stress and a disorder is something that keeps you from functioning normally. All we're saying is use the gratitude to turn off the stress. We don't even have to get into all the other words and concepts. The stress response needs to be turned off and you do that with, by practicing gratitude. Now, other things that you can do, which is what I've, I've told a lot of people is Gratitude isn't just something that you can do at night. We can practice all the time. And I think one great example of that is when I see you in the office Monday morning, I can say, how was your weekend? You were like, ah, I was okay. Or I can say, did you do something fun and exciting this weekend? And then you put some intention into thinking about something positive. And then look at your relationships. How well do I know you? If I know that you have a, a daughter or a son, maybe a toddler, I can say, hey, did you and your daughter go to the park? Did you do something fun? What did your daughter do that really made you laugh this weekend? And so now you are putting effort into thinking of something positive. And if you start your day with that positivity, then throughout the day, you will be more productive, more creative, more innovative, and better able to see the bigger picture. And when I say that, that's based on um, Dr. Barbara Fredrickson's research. She's from um, University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. And so I just, I'm saying that based on a lot of research that she's done, that it, it opens up those centers of the brain so that you can be positive and more productive throughout the day. And I think we miss that. So if you practice gratitude at night, it helps you get better sleep. You can turn off your stress response. You can relax. You can reduce your negative mental and emotional health symptoms. And then in the morning, you can share that gratitude with others, elevating the people around you and building a culture and community of people who are thriving with positivity and optimism. Yeah, I really like it. Um, I think... I both at night and at daytime, it, it's such a, how to say, powerful, positive energy. At night, you can, it's a chance for us to use this 
opportunity to review our day, to pick up those highlights, right? They're uh, the shiny parts. And during the daytime, it's amazing how we just shift the words, how we just shift the question can bring a lot of intentionally uh, remembering of the highlight moments of the weekend, of the day, of our own life, of our people, other people's life. It's really just how, which angle we are thinking about things. If we keep on asking people, what are the down moments, any struggles? Yes, we go into those negative moments. But if we ask more about what are fun moments, what are the great moments, exciting moments, our attention are guided there. That's where, you know, a lot of times we talk about or, or like the science and the theory and so on. And sometimes we don't even need to have the conversation. Just do the work. Just practice the gratitude. You don't need to know the science. You don't need all the neuroscience to say, hey, what did you do this weekend that was fun? And what happens is when I ask you those questions, you respond with positivity. We feel more connected. So it enables us to build a better real relationship. And that connection also provides a barrier against mental health disorders. So your gratitude enables you to be more resilient. But then as we build these connections, we have a more resilient community where we can help each other out. And then what you find is that you're better able to be there for each other, starting with gratitude practice, because we know each other better. I care more about you. And it's, it's not even really complicated. I care a lot more about you if we spend time laughing and smiling together. That's not, you know, that's not something we need to think too deep about. If we spend a lot of time sharing positivity, that's going to enhance our relationship. And so if you have more days like that, then it becomes a habit. Positivity becomes a part of your character. It's not choosing positivity in the moment, it's being a positive person. And then we can take it all the way back to sleep. If you're a positive person and you're able to practice this gratitude, then on the hard days, the gratitude practice is still a habit. And so when it's time for you to go to sleep, you're in the habit of turning off the stress response. Your brain is triggered to know, hey, it's time to turn off the adrenaline. It is time to shut down and rest and relax. So essentially, you're training yourself to get better sleep. And if you can't do that, or you feel like you can't do that, I like what you said about getting help or treatment for sleep. We often don't think about that. We often, when we think about mental health disorders, again, I've mentioned PTSD, anxiety, and depression, right? But there is a such thing as a sleep disorder. And people should get help for sleep. You, you can't just spend your whole life saying, I don't get good sleep. I don't get good rest. I wish I could sleep better. Go get treatment. Go see an expert. Get help. And that honestly can turn your whole life around. I also like the, the point you mentioned, which is very important, is using these positive ways of thinking or focusing more or balance the positive areas and negative areas of our life. It's not a moment thing. It, we, it, 
we all need practice and it's uh, eventually we want it to be a habit. We want to be consistent. It's not just, oh, today or this one time I tried it, but it won't change my life, right? If we're doing that, keep on practicing it, put effort in it consistently, we may start seeing some improvement. I remember there was a research about the gratitude journal at night, the three good things. Um, a lot of people find if they keep on doing that day after day, after five weeks on average, people start feeling a lot of improvement of their mood. So it's not just one day or two days practice. Well, yeah, that's it. And a big part of that is because Every day isn't always a great day. So some days you have to put more effort into identifying the positivity, identifying what you're grateful for. And so you are literally putting more effort into being grateful. You are intentionally cultivating positive emotions. And we often don't do that. And the reason why we often don't do that for ourselves is because we don't recognize that we deserve the positivity. We deserve the optimism. We deserve the happiness. If you are constantly judging yourself, you can think that I'm a miserable person or I messed up. I don't deserve to be happy. But the truth is you deserve to be happy. And I, and I tell people this, that the moment that you were born and took your first breath, you deserve to be happy. There was no checklist you had to go through to earn it. You deserve to be happy because you're a human being. Every being, right? Every animal deserves happiness. And people try to earn it. And then they use ways to measure themselves to decide that they don't deserve it. And that becomes a habit. But what you can't do is just, if that's a habit, you can't just turn that off, right? Going back to replacing, instead of saying, that's not true. I deserve to be happy. That's, that's not the end. It takes practice. And so the gratitude practice helps to elevate that so that you're not just making these, these positive comments, right? Almost like when people talk about toxic positivity, you're not just saying random things to yourself. If you really feel bad, you really feel like you're a horrible person, you have to work on that. It takes work. It takes practice. We are putting in the effort to tell people, to empower people, to choose happiness. And it's hard. It's hard for a lot of people in, in all demographics, from kids, teenagers, adults, PhDs to high school dropouts, age, race, socioeconomic status. It doesn't matter. In every demographic, you find people who think they don't deserve to be happy. Yeah. When you mentioned that, that's remind me Sometimes when I work with people about this gratitude aspect, some people saying like they it's easier for them to come up with something to appreciate, to feel grateful, uh, like around them. Like they can be they can be grateful for other people, for uh things happen to them, but they don't feel any appreciation towards themselves that a lot of people may experience low self-esteem and they feel like, oh, I, I thank this, this, this person, this, this, this thing, but myself, oh, I'm not good, right? Uh, but I'm grateful of 
my life, <laughs> things around me, but not myself. So when you mentioned that, just remind me of all these people struggle so much about this gratitude towards themselves. When I talk to people about that, I I, I look at their process really of how they view themselves compared to other people. So that's the foundation. When we do things, we look at the results. When we look at what other people do, we look at their intentions. So if I do you wrong, you might say, well, but I know he didn't mean to hurt me. I know he had good intentions. I know that he's a good person. So you'll excuse my behavior or my mistake because you're looking at my intentions and who I am as a person. But if you make the same mistake, you will say the result defines the quality of person that I am. And then what you do is you follow that up with the self-judgment, right? I made this mistake because I'm stupid, because I'm dumb, because I'm careless. And so first we have to recognize which lens we're looking at others through and ourselves. And so when you're looking at yourself, use the same lens. What is my heart, my intentions? What did I mean to do? Was it really an accident? And then you look at what I say are how your values align with what you're doing. And that's one thing I really like to dig in with people about. For example, if your value is honesty and you told a lie in a certain situation, does that make you a bad person? Or does that mean you're less than perfect? There's a difference. So if you're less than perfect, you're telling me that you're human. That's okay. That's acceptable. You may not realize it, but you've never met someone who's never told a lie. Simply put, most people have told plenty of lies by the time their fourth birthday rolls around. <laughs> so you've never met anyone that's perfect. So quit trying to be perfect. And so you judge yourself and you say, oh, I didn't do this. And then what we don't do is give ourselves credit when our thoughts and actions do align with our values. For example, if honesty is your value and you're faced with a tough situation and you chose to tell the truth, you don't give yourself credit for that. You say, well, that was the right thing to do. So in your mind, what you did was basic or the minimum standard because you don't want to give yourself credit for it. So you will harshly judge yourself if you don't align with the value, but you won't give yourself any credit when you do act in ways that align with your value. So give yourself some credit. And then at the end of the day, if your actions, thoughts, behaviors have aligned with your values a great majority of the day, can you not say, I was a good person today? I did good today. I did well. We don't do that. We're afraid to do that. And another thing that I want to talk about when I have these conversations with clients also is judgment versus accountability. If I lie to you, honesty is my value. I don't have to judge myself. I don't have to say I lied to you because I'm a bad person. I lied to you because I'm an idiot or I'm evil. I don't need to judge myself. 
That doesn't help. I'm not going to be more honest tomorrow because I judged myself today. What's actually going to happen is I feel like I'm a worse person. So honesty doesn't even matter as much because I'm such a horrible person anyway. So instead of judging myself, hold myself accountable. And one way I can hold myself accountable is by going back to you later and saying, you know what? When you asked me this, I lied to you. That's accountability. I apologize for lying to you about this. And if I have a reason, I can say I lied to you because of this. Or if I don't have a reason, just be honest. You know what? I shouldn't have lied to you. And then you can go back and reevaluate your thought process. Why did I lie in the first place? And if you reevaluate that process, your thought process in the moment, that's how you hold yourself accountable. You don't have to call yourself names while you're doing that. Say, okay, I've decided I'm going to do better tomorrow. And then if you've learned from that, you can be grateful for that and put that in your gratitude journal. Wow, a lot of great points. I really <laughs> like. I hope our audience captured that, right? So, <laughs> understand the values is so important. And I know in psychology, sometimes we talk about like to-do list, daily goals. It's slightly different than your value system. Like the value, you what you really value in your life that guide you, guide our day-to-day behaviors. And uh, this, this accountability, a lot of people may, you know, it's, I think that's a lot of insight for us to look back, to be aware of what's going on and take the accountability of things. And that's so important. And judgment is such a common theme in our daily life. I cannot, I cannot even count how many people suffer from judging themselves, being judged by people around them, uh, self-criticism, criticizing other people, criticizing everything around them. It just the more we are judging things, the, the less happy we are. So all these are so important content. I feel like each single one of them can be discussed for days, for hours. (laughs) This is wonderful. I like how you put all these different concepts together and help people through your coaching, through your lectures, to really help people understand, wow, you know, is this where you stuck? and how to apply this to your gratitude practice or to your daily life to help you feel better. To me, it all goes back to the emotional intelligence. And the first domain or the foundation of emotional intelligence is self-awareness. Why do you do what you do? And a lot of people don't know why because they don't think about why. What they do is they say, that's who I am. I'm just that way. And that gives them an excuse. And it gives them an excuse to behave a certain way. And it sets a foundation for them to judge themselves and think negatively about themselves. Because what happens is they're afraid, they're insecure, they don't want to try to be better. If I think that I'm a horrible person and I try to be better, and I fail, I'm going to confirm that I'm a horrible person. That sounds like a scary scenario. So I'd rather just accept 
then I'm horrible and stay there. But what happens with people who judge themselves in that way is that they try to judge their overall quality of being on a scale of one to 10. I am a two, which is different than saying I feel like this. Not that I'm a horrible person, but I feel guilty about this. And if I can say I feel guilty about this, then I can rectify that one thing. Instead of just elevating who I am in the next 45 minutes, that doesn't even make sense. And so in order to really do that, you have to be able to manage your emotions. And that goes back to the mindfulness meditation and the gratitude. And, and, you know, those are just two things you can do. There's more, of course, but it's being able to turn off the intense emotions, being able to turn off the negative emotions that are flooding your mind so that you can think, right? Turning off the emotion brain, right? And then turning on the thinking brain. Why do I feel this way? Why did I act this way? Then that puts you in a position to change your behavior. And you can change one behavior at a time. And the changing of behaviors is a process. Every time that someone does this, it makes me angry. And that's just who I am. How often have we heard that? <laughs> and then instead, one day you say, every time this happens, I get angry. Why do I get angry? So now we're elevating the self-awareness. And then when we answer why I get angry, how do I express or experience the anger? And by expressing the anger, I mean, are you yelling? Are you throwing things? Do you just go be by yourself? Do you enjoy that? If not, then maybe you should work on not being angry every time this happens. And then how you experience it is internal. What thoughts are you having? What happens in your mind? How do you feel? And an example of that, when I talk to people, I use a very simple example. When you get cut off in traffic, why do you go into a rage? You're cussing at this person. You're, you're yelling at them. Your windows are up. Their windows are up. They can't even hear you. So what are you even accomplishing? And then are you still mad 45 minutes later? You're on your way to a job interview or date night with your significant other and you get cut off in traffic. So then you show up to the interview mad. Learn how to turn that off. What you don't need to do is say, that's just how I am. It's not just how you are. You have a choice. That's so empowering, right? So it's not that our personality, it's not something so core that cannot be shifted at all. We, we can, through the thinking process, through this stuff, questions that you mentioned to really understand what's going on, what I used to do things, What's my feeling? What's my act reactions? And then think about what can I can do differently, and then start going to a more and more healthier and positive direction. And it's totally changeable. Behaviors can be changed, so and thinking style can be changed. It's not something that's like a 
how to say, like a rock and like a, like a, even a tree can be removed. It, it's not something that's so deeply rooted there. I cannot do anything about that. So if think that way, we just feel so powerless. But like you mentioned, if we think we, we are able to do something about that, we, there's a way to think about that. There's a way to work on that. Then I can imagine how empowering that is to a lot of people. Right. And it starts again with the self-awareness, with recognizing, you know, what you feel, why you feel that way and how you express or experience those emotions. And that can be applied to everything, everything that you have a belief, a thought or perception about. And so when you're trying to change, when you've made a decision that your behaviors will change, you're not going to change that for everything. Let's look at the situations that occur most often in your life. Of those situations, which ones result in you reacting in a way that you're not happy with? Now let's pick one and let's work on it. And that's where people need to grasp that there's a process. And then what you find is that you're able to use these skills in more intense or in more tense or, or bigger situations. And I'll give you an example. When you are able to find gratitude every day, you start off with a gratitude journal at night. Maybe you have some gratitude conversations in the morning or maybe with your family at dinner. Before we eat, let's talk about what we're grateful for, something like that. What, or you don't even have to ask that question. You can say, did something good happen today at school? I asked my kids that. Did anyone make you laugh at school today? Did you get a grade back that you're proud of? And that gives them a chance to cultivate positive emotions. And then what happens when that's a part of your personality, you may experience a real tragedy. And you'll find that your gratitude habit does not leave you in the moment. I'll give you an example. My mother passed away in 2019. Although she was ill, her passing was a surprise. It was shocking. And in the moment, as I was hurting and grieving, my habit of gratitude continued to show itself. So while you're thinking about how hard it is, how painful it is that you lost this person, a positive memory comes to the forefront of your mind. And then you, then you find yourself laughing and crying at the same time. You feel kind of odd. But it becomes a habit. Where in the moment, I can choose, am I going to spend the next hour thinking about how bad it hurts, or am I going to spend time reliving positive moments in my mind? And the truth of the matter is, if the person you lost wants you to be happy, then by choosing gratitude in the moment, you are honoring their wishes and death. I think a lot of times we think about honoring someone after they pass in a way of you go through the motions, right? A good funeral, good service, those kinds of things. Those, those are ways of paying respect. But when it comes to honor, for me, it's what was that person's character like? What did they think about you? How did they feel about you? Do they want you to be happy? Would your mom want you to be laughing and smiling today? And if the answer is yes, then by laughing and smiling, you're honoring her wishes. 
that doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. That doesn't mean you're grieving less, right? That doesn't just go away. And, and I need people to understand that as well, that choosing positivity and optimism doesn't mean you won't feel sadness. It means that you have more of a say-so to prevent you from being overwhelmed by negative emotions. And so if you can practice gratitude in the micro moments that may seem somewhat unimportant, then when tragedy hits, you're still able to have some gratitude, positivity, and optimism. And the reason that's important is because when you think about the people that you really love in your life, you're not the only one that loves them. And so maybe someone else is hurting more than you. And although you're hurting because you are resilient, because you've practiced gratitude, because you've, you're able to manage your emotions to some degree, you have more emotional resources available to show empathy and concern for other people. And they might need you in that moment. And again, by you being available in that moment, by you choosing gratitude, and by you being empathetic towards others, you're honoring the person who left you. And I think we all have that, that wish, right? To honor them, to make them proud of us. And for my mom, it was laughing and smiling. And I think a lot of people, they allow that to get away from them because in the moment, if they haven't been practicing gratitude, if they don't have positivity and optimism instilled within the personality, their grieving is full of guilt and regret. We know that when you lose someone, when there's a tragedy, we know there's things you could have done differently. There's things you should have done differently. We all know that. But you don't have to choose to think about those things. You don't have to let regret overwhelm you while you're grieving. You can choose otherwise, but it takes practice. It's a skill that has to be developed. Yeah, and sounds like the more we practice, it actually accumulates, and the resources get stronger. Our and it become eventually turn into resilience, turn into more like you mentioned emotional resources. So practice effort is very important. It's not just understand the concept. No, oh, there's such thing. Okay, <laughs> if we don't practice, we may not benefit from it. I I like this message. Because I always want to tell people, you know, positive psychology is not just say positive things. It's not just <laughs> purely be positive or like turn off the negative, think positive, be positive, be happy. Not like that. It's hard work. It's practice. It's a lot of <laughs> deeper, more important, complicated stuff than just think positively. <laughs> right, right. You know, it goes back to the self-judgment because you have to recognize when you're judging yourself and you have to get in the habit of not doing that. And one thing that I get people to do is to follow a negative thought or statement with something positive, right? I, I call it a, a comma, but statement. I'm no, I'm no good at this, but I'm grateful I had the opportunity to try. I failed at this but I learned some lessons because both statements can be true. It's not the same as denying the statement. No, if you failed, you failed. 
if you took a test and you got a 55, being positive doesn't raise your grade. It's still a 55. But you can add something positive to the end of it so that you're not judging yourself. The reason that's important is because when you can elevate your perception of yourself, then you recognize you are worth the effort. We're talking about practicing gratitude, practicing optimism, positivity, elevating your happiness baseline. If you judge yourself negatively all the time, you don't believe that you should elevate your happiness baseline. If you don't believe you should be happier, you're not going to do the work to be happier. So if we can turn off the self-judgment and get you not, not to say, I'm the greatest of all time, but to just stop the negativity. You don't have to say, I suck, I'm horrible. You can say, I lack skill in this area. Oh, I made a mistake. How can I make up for it? See, when I say I made a mistake, how can I make up for it? I actually didn't say anything negative about who I am as a person. And then I begin to build on top of that through these processes of gratitude, resilience, elevating my happiness baseline. And what happens is you begin to believe that you deserve to be happy, which becomes the foundation of the work because you're worth the work. You deserve to be happy. And I need you to believe that because if you don't believe that you deserve to be happy, you won't take the steps needed to be happy because they go against your beliefs. Yes. Yes. Love that. Hopefully, you know, our audience who are listening and really take away a lot of valuable points from this. So all these are great near the end of the show. I want to uh, ask you if any of our uh, listeners who are really interested in knowing more, learning more about your coaching service and to read more, how can they find you? Well, I'll, t- I'll tell you two things. First of all, the best way to find me if you're on Facebook, I have a Facebook group and it's called You Deserve to Be Happy. Oh, great. Great name. <laughs> Facebook.com slash groups slash. Well, it's you deserve to be happy, but it's you with a period like you period deserve period to be happy with periods. You can just type in a search. You deserve to be happy. That's where I'm at. I'm posting stuff all the day. I do Facebook lives. I post memes and pictures and sayings and quotes, and I interact with everyone. Also. To get in contact with me directly, you can just go to my website, charlsongains.com, C-H-A-R-L-S-O-N-G-A-I-N-E-S.com. And then from there, you can just click the button to contact me and we'll have a conversation. We'll have a conversation because some people need therapy, some people need coaching, some people just need a simple conversation. You just need some encouragement. And I'm more than happy to give that to people who need it. That's wonderful. I will put all the links to the Facebook group, to our website, on our show notes. So when people, and under the description of the podcast. So when people listen to our conversation and they can find your information at the same time. And then also, I'm starting a five-day challenge. It's a free five-day Maximize Your Life challenge. And within my Facebook group, you'll see a link for that. 
but that's starting on the 31st next Monday. And really what it's about is taking all of these things that I just talked about and actually practicing them daily. It's about elevating your emotional intelligence. When people can do that, when you elevate your emotional intelligence, you set the foundation for you to enhance every other aspect of your life. When I talk about suicide prevention, recovering from trauma, even relationship issues, it all starts with self-awareness. It all starts with emotional intelligence. And if you can't manage your own emotions, you're going to struggle dealing with other people. And so that's why I love to teach it. And then you give people the tools and the skills to elevate their own happiness baseline. Great. Will this ch- five-day challenge continue? Because by the time our pod, uh, our interview come out, it may already pass the uh, your five five-day challenge date. Okay. Well, I'm going to be doing it monthly. Okay. So anyone that's in the Facebook group will see the ads for monthly because people need this. People need this because we are more angry miserable and lonely than we've been in a hundred years. And we can't sit around waiting for someone else to do something for us. We have to choose to elevate our own happiness. And that's why I'm doing the challenge. That's why I have this Facebook group. Great. Yes. So sounds like if people want to know more about all these great resources you are providing, uh, just go to join your Facebook group. That's where a lot of um, the, the information going to be posted. Great. Thank you very much, Charson. Uh, Thank you for coming to share all this wonderful information with us. So after our conversation, what have you got out of it? Leave me a message. Let me know. You can find more about Charson's information on the show note at deepintosleep.co. If you want to check out more about my online sleep coaching course in Chinese, you can find more information at website mindbodygarden.com slash course slash sleep. The psychologists in my clinic have created a bunch of online courses, including relationship coaching, parent coaching, sex coaching. So if you need any of the information, all in Chinese, you can check it out at mindbodygarden.com slash course. Thank you for listening to today's episode. And I'm your host, Ishan. I will see you next time. Sleep is an individual thing. We all sleep differently. And there is so much we can do to improve sleep quality. Keep hope and carry on. This podcast is for general informational purpose only and does not include the practice of medicine or other health professional services. Usage of the information we share is at the listener's own risk. And our content does not intend to be a substitute for any medical and professional services, diagnoses, and treatment. Please seek professional health services as needed. Are you suffering from insomnia? I promise you, the CBTI method in my course will definitely help you. Even if several nights of better sleep, that would be a world-changing experience for you. I have had so many success from my insomnia patients who have taken this course over the years. If you know someone who are struggling with sleep, go to my website and check out my course at deepintosleep.co forward slash insomnia.